0: us uh, today. Uh, and and today we come to the third commandment, which is about misusing the name of God. And I was thinking about <clears throat> this idea of a name, and I couldn't help but think of uh, one of my favorite uh, scenes of a movie is the hyenas and Lion King when they're, uh, you know, kind of sitting around and talking and Ed and I forget the other hyenas names. They're, um, you know, they're over there talking and kind of laughing and, and lamenting of how the the lions ruin everything, how they're pushy and hairy and stinky and ugly and how if it wasn't for them, the hyenas would be Running the world, and uh, Scar shows up, you know, and the green gas goes up in the air, and they're like, "Oh, it's just you, Scar." We thought it was somebody like Mufasa, and and then Ed's like, "Ooh, Mufasa," you know, like there's just something in that name that makes me shudder. And then they're like, they say it again, Mufasa, Mufasa, um, and uh, and and you know, you think about what's in a name, and it's not just what you call a person, right? But a name. Uh, Denotes something about that person, about their character, about who they are, about their reputation, um, and we we know that names are important uh, as we reflect on our own names or perhaps the naming of children. We see the significance of these names and I was thinking about our own naming process of our children and our family um, about you know eight years ago. we were uh, first thinking about naming uh, our first child Amelia um, and we did what every uh, good and upstanding parent did back then, uh, back in 2013. Uh, we went to this establishment where they have physical copies of books that they put on the shelves, um, and it's called Barnes and Noble. Um, they have like maybe one around, I think now, but you go in and they, uh, they have books that you can like touch and feel and read, um, and you can buy those books, and you can go sit in the coffee shop and read a little bit of the book, and then put the book back, and it's a beautiful thing. And, and so we went in and we picked up a baby naming book, right? Because, I mean, how else are you going to come up with names, you know? Um, and now you look online. That's how you do it. Um, and so, uh, but we went and we looked up some baby name uh, books and we got one. And we ended up really liking like the classical timeless category. Uh, we kind of decided we wanted to pick a name that we just liked for our first name and that the middle name would be uh, something meaningful and significant. and um, And so... Um so for example, um I mean my name in our family I mean who is Who Is Like God? Um and so that's with I always was encouraged by that. I was like, yeah, Michael, who is like God? That's encouraging. But then I realized that it's a question mark, um, so as to say, probably not you. Um but um but our other names, Amelia means industrious, striving, Uh, hard-working, uh, strong. Uh, She's uh, flexing up there. Uh, It's like her mother, Emily and Amelia, are like uh, cognate words. Uh, One's, I think, Latin and one's... um Uh, something else. I can't remember. Um, And uh, then Graham means, uh, who's our youngest gravel area or gray homestead. Emily really likes gray neutral colors, and so that's why we named Graham. uh, I'm just kidding. Um, And Caroline uh, is the uh, female derivative of Charles, which uh, means free man. Uh, Caroline means free woman. And if you know our Caroline, she is very uh, free-spirited herself. Uh, Our son John, uh, his first name actually means something significant to us. We uh, experienced about five years of not being able to have a second child and an uh, ectopic pregnancy in between uh, our first and John's birth. And we, we were pregnant with John when we moved here to Ann Arbor. Uh, he was our first child born uh, here in Michigan. His name means God is gracious. Um, and, and so uh, we think about the significance of names and we, uh, we look at these, uh, our kids' names. And sometimes we, we name our kids in the hopes of what they will become, Um, But even when we don't put a lot of meaning in the West, I think largely to uh, with first names at least, there's not always a lot of significance attached to the name other than what the parents like. But in other cultures, especially in Native American cultures, many Asian, African cultures, there's still great significance put uh, in in the giving of names. Um, But uh, I was reminded when we were looking for baby name books that we really had begun to lose a little bit of the significance of names because I came across this book uh, that you'll see up here. It's called Hello, My Name is Pabst. Uh, Baby baby Names for Nonconformist, Indie, Geeky, DIY, Hipster, and Alternative Parents of Every Kind. And so uh, this was one of the books that I picked up and looked at in the coffee shop, but we didn't go with this. But the name, uh, the, the characteristic of the names were incredible. These names are thematically arranged the list including names that you can drink at the bar, like uh, Hennessy or yogurt, uh, names that fit into skinny jeans. I don't even know what that is. Vegan and gluten-free names like quinoa or miso, names to control C or control V like Adobe or Helvetica uh, also included our tipsters for sparking name creativity, such as, and I didn't think of this, but I mean, I should have, opening a box of crayons or scanning the credit of a foreign film. Paps presents a whole new approach to baby naming for a new generation of parents who want names that look good on a tote bag and um, and who uh, are like a boss. That's uh, some character. Uh, some editing there. Are like a boss at the playground. Um, and uh, And I thought to myself, like, that's it. Like we need to choose a name based on what it will look like on a tote bag. Um, um, I'm just kidding. We didn't. We didn't do. We didn't factor that in. But if that factored in for you, you know, so be it. Um, but it's funny when we think about names. So this book, uh, somewhat comical. Uh, the reality is, we all, uh, when we think of a name, it's it's more than just what we call a person. It's more than nomenclature. Uh, It reflects something about that person, our desire for them. And even if it's not a first name or a middle name, our family names all mean something to us. Uh, Our family names are all uh, full of reputation, full of history, full of association that we hope uh, our children are encouraged by or live up to uh, or perhaps make a new name for um, uh, in the history of our families. And that's true also of God's name in Exodus chapter 20. And that's where we're going to be today. Um, This command not to misuse God's name is followed by a pretty weighty warning uh, that those who misuse the name of the Lord will not go unpunished. And so when we think about what's so great about a name, we know that it reflects more than than what we call someone. It reflects their character. It reflects uh, who they are we can see a few different things that the Bible tells us about God's name. First of all, it tells us that the name of the Lord reveals the essence of God. The name of the Lord reveals the essence of God. In Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to skip around a few different verses here, but in Exodus chapter 3, God tells Moses that he's going to use him to deliver his people from bondage in Egypt. And God says that he's going to to use Moses and Moses is going to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And God says, I'm going to be with you and I'm going to do these signs for you and you're going to come out and worship me. And Moses, like any normal person, is like, so when I go talk to Pharaoh who can kill me just just because I come before him, who exactly should I say sent me? Right? Like, who should I say told me to come to you? And God says... I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am sent me to you. God also said of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, he has sent me to you. This is my name forever. This is how I am to be remembered in every generation. The name of God that's used in creation is Elohim. We see God's power in his creation, but here is the covenant name of God. Uh, Yahweh, that was often uh, spelled out by the Israelites by dropping the vowels and just putting the consonants, Y-H-W-H. Uh, this is how we get in English the word Jehovah, it's just transcribe the, the Hebrew letters into into English and the placement of vowels in between. But they didn't even say the name of God out of fear of, of using His name in vain, but it's His covenant name. It's, a, it's really the to-be verb. Uh, He says, who sent you? Tell them uh, to be sent me uh, or sent you. It's the the name of God that reveals he is self-existent, self-sufficient, and sovereign. He has no need of anyone or anything. He has always been. He always will be. There is nothing that is that was before him. And there is nothing that will ever be after him because he has no beginning and he has no end. He is self-existent, self-sufficient, in control of all things. And that God reveals himself and chooses to enter into relationship with people and he does so on the basis of this name that this name Yahweh that reveals the essence of who he is um, and and as we go on as uh, as as God reveals that I am uh, is his name, that Yahweh is his name. After all of this takes place and Israel comes out of Egypt, Moses is up on the mountain receiving the law. Uh, In Exodus 33, after the Israelites have uh, fallen into idolatry and uh, created a golden calf as they waited on Moses, uh, it says in Exodus 33, And 34, that God uh, is Moses is back up on the mountain before God. And we we are going to see that the name of the Lord reveals the presence of God, the glory of God, and the character of God. And it all comes out here in this passage because it says in verse 14, um, um, Moses basically says to God, Look, you've led us this far, God. If you don't go with us, then we don't want to go. And then God replies. He says, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses says, If your presence doesn't go, don't make us go, Lord. And he says, how will it be known that that I and your people have found favor with you unless you go with us? And verse 17, the Lord says, I will do this very thing you have asked, for you have found favor with me, and I know you by name. And then here it is. He says, let me see your glory. He wants his presence, and his presence is tied to his glory. He says, let me see your glory. And how does God say he shows his glory? He said, I will cause all my goodness, the full character of God, uh, on display to pass before you, and I will proclaim the name the Lord Yahweh before you. This is God's commentary on his name in Exodus 3. So Moses starts off saying, God, we want your presence. We want, I want to see your glory. And God says, If you want my presence, if you want to see my glory, then you need to know my name. The name of God reveals the character of of God. It reveals the presence of God, the glory of God. Elsewhere in the law, Deuteronomy 12, 5, God talks of the tabernacle as the place where his name dwells. It's the place of his presence, it's where God's people can meet with him. It's where the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, which was the innermost part of the the tabernacle, which was kind of like the tent version of the temple. Um, And before God got a house, he he had some camping gear and he had a tent and the tent in the middle of the tent was the Holy of Holies. And only one person once a year could go in and make full sacrifice for the sins of the people. And as they went in, what they went into wasn't an idol statue like all the gods of the nations around them. What they went into was a a box called the Ark. And in the Ark was the Ten Commandments. And and over the Ark were cherubim that uh, the the scriptures tell us that are before the presence of God in heaven, uh, worshiping God. It was when they went in there, they went in to the presence of God, the place that resembled the presence of God. And when God tells David to build a temple, that he's going to use Solomon to build a temple, he says, It will be the place in which my name dwells. The name of the Lord reveals the presence of God. It's to, to know his name is to know his nearness. It also reveals his glory, it's him putting on display who he is. We, we saw this as we looked uh, recently at the, uh, the high priestly prayer. Jesus said he came and he revealed the glory of God. He revealed the, the character of God. And that's exactly how his glory is revealed uh, is through his character being made known. And, and Exodus 34, 6 tells us this statement in Exodus 34, 6 gets repeated multiple times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. It is the quintessential foundational revelation of the character of God. Last week, we talked about how God will, 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 not, um, will not allow for us as his people to have any idol that we worship because no idol can re- accurately represent God. Every idol by its very nature dishonors God and misleads us because of who he is. And here we see his character revealed that he's compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in love. His faithfulness will never end. Neither will his forgiveness. All of that's amazing news if you're humble enough to know that you're a sinner in need of God's forgiveness. But he also tells us that he's righteous and just. He won't allow the guilty to escape judgment. That's really bad news if you're unwilling to admit your need and to see his provision for you and take refuge in him. But, but here's the thing, as we think about the name of the Lord and, and the significance of why we should not misuse the name of the Lord, we have to understand that the name of God isn't magic that we use. And sometimes people just kind of think like if I just say his name, you know, like there's just power in his name and that's true, but we can kind of like misapply that. And we think if we just say it like it's going to happen, like God's name is like a, you know, a lucky charm or a talisman that we, if we if we just say it, then something good is going to happen. Or if we if we claim something in his name that that it's going to come to us. But the scriptures never present God's name in that way. His name isn't magic, but it's truth. His name reveals truth about who God is that we are to believe and that we are to act on. Consider what the Bible says about the name of the Lord. It says call on the name of the Lord. It says hope in the name of the Lord. It says believe in the name of the Lord. It says walk in the name of the Lord, trust in the name of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. These things require us to respond to who God is. It's not something that we can claim for ourselves, but it's something that calls something from us. It calls for a response when we think about who God has revealed himself to be. Psalm 124.8 says, Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And thinking about the name of the Lord, you, you might be saying to yourself, "Michael, what do you what does it mean to misuse the name of the Lord?" I'm I'm going to get there, but but here's here's what I was convicted of this week. I, I think we look at the command not to use the Lord's name in vain or not to misuse the name of the Lord, and we think, okay, as long as I keep my OMGs under wraps and you know, like I don't say any cuss words or you know, really uh, do anything that dishonors God, then I'm good. Like there's nothing more to be said. And I think in, in, in part, part of our, uh, our uh, kind of challenge to feel the weight of the third commandment is that we don't feel the, uh, the beauty and the magnificence of the name of God and what it really means to find our help in the name of the Lord. And so I decided to consider the names of God revealed in Scripture and and what it means for God to be our help, for the name of the Lord to be our help, and how the name of the Lord invites us to trust in Him and to act upon who He reveals Himself to be. You might know some of these, but Scripture says that God is El Shaddai, that He is God Almighty, who not only makes heaven and earth, but He makes and keeps covenant with His people. It's what he, he reveals himself using this name in Genesis 15. It's, he is El Roy, the God who sees. He sees Hagar in Genesis 16 when no one else does, when everyone else has forgotten. He knows, he hears, he sees. What comfort there is in knowing that God is El Roy. Scripture says that he is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. He not only meets our physical needs, but he meets our greatest need, just like when Abraham took Isaac up onto the mountain and God called him to offer his son as a sacrifice. And he laid his son on the altar in what must have been the most unimaginable act. And he said, I know that the Lord will provide. And there in the thicket was a ram that God provided for his son, We know that God is Jehovah Nisi. He is the Lord, our banner. He he says that He is the one who fights and wins our battles. He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. Jehovah Sabaoth, the name that sounds weird, but means the Lord of hosts is His name. He is the one who is full of might and power and acts on behalf of His people. When we think about the Lord being our host, Psalm 46 tells us, that when we look around and, and everything around us gives way, when, when the earth falls into the sea and the, and the mountains crumble, God tells us that the Lord of hosts is with us. In Psalm 46, 8, it says, Come see the works of the Lord who brings devastation, who makes wars cease throughout the earth, who shatters the bow and cuts spears to pieces and sets wagons ablaze. Stop your fighting and know that I am God, exalted among the nations, exalted on the earth. The Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. Scripture says that He is Jehovah Ropha, the Lord who heals and makes whole. He is Jehovah Kadesh, the Lord who sanctifies, who sets us apart from sin and sets us apart to his glory. And then in Revelation 22, he says he is the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He was before us and he always will be with us and he promises to come for us so we can be with him forever. What's so great about a name? A name reveals the essence of God, it reveals the presence of God, the glory of God, the, the character of God. This is our God. And these names are an invitation to trust him, to trust in his character and his presence, to, to run. Proverbs eighteen twenty says that the, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and are safe. What does it mean to run into a name? What does it mean to find refuge in a name? Practically, how do we do that? Consider this. Here's why I think this is significant for us to understand uh, the the meaning of the Lord's name. Are you anxious? Feel that sense of uneasiness, that unsettling uh, feeling of things being out of your control. Run to the truth of El Shaddai and Jehovah Shalom. that, That God Almighty is at hand. And that the Lord of peace can give peace to your anxious heart. Are you afraid? Walk in the truth of Jehovah Sabaoth, that the Lord of hosts is with us, that the God of Jacob is by. Are you lacking and facing need? Trust in the truth of Jehovah Jireh, that God is our provider. Do you feel overwhelmed by by what you're facing, unsure of how you're going to handle it, feeling like you want to quit? Remember that, that God is Jehovah Nisi, that He is our banner, that we can follow Him with His name over us. Not the sense of failure, uncertainty in ourselves, but of competence of who He is. Do you face sickness? Hope in the truth of Jehovah Ropha, the God who heals. Are you in need of, of strength to fight sin? Well, run to the truth that God is Jehovah Im Kadesh, the one who sanctifies us, the one who helps us to say no to sin and to say yes to righteousness. This is the name of the Lord. And the way we respond to his name is by believing and trusting and walking in. And running to and finding help in his name. Are you comforted by the name of the Lord? The question I had to ask myself is, am I I running to his name in my problems? Am I really trusting him? How many of us look at the problems that we face and the trials that we experience and we seek to handle them in our own capacity? On the basis of our own understanding, on the resources of our own character, when at our disposal is this God... I mean, that's that's what makes misusing his name so incredible is that we could think that we're misusing the name of this God. This isn't a vending machine God or an aloof God or an old and grumpy God casting lightning bolts from heaven. This is a God who has revealed himself in these ways to us. And to know the significance of misusing the name of the Lord, we must understand the magnificence of the name of the Lord. If we're we're ever going to feel the weight of the third commandment, we have to know the the glory and the goodness and the, the amazing truth of the name of the Lord. And when we think about that, this is God's name, then we ask ourselves, how could we use this God's name, our God's name, Yahweh's name in vain? That's what scripture reveals to us. So how do you break the third commandment? We break the third commandment when we use his name irreverently, when we use his name flippantly, when we take his name on our lips, but we dishonor his name with our lives. We misuse his name when we seek to to bolster our own credibility by adding his name to our promises John Calvin said it this way. He said the purpose of this commandment is this. God wills that we hallow the majesty of His name. This is partly what Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be the name. God's name be holy, set apart, approached with reverence and and fear. Not in the sense of being afraid, but in the sense of of drawing near with a holy reverence of who He is. This means in brief, and what follows is four sentences, so I love that about Calvin, in brief, let me tell you, uh, four sentences later, that we would not profane his name by treating it contemptuously or irreverently. It's a prohibition uh, to, that corresponds uh, to, to this prohibition, corresponds to the commandment that we should be zealous and careful to honor his name with godly reverence. Therefore, we ought to be so disposed in mind and speech that we wouldn't think or say anything concerning God and his mysteries without reverence, with much soberness, that in estimating his works we conceive nothing but what is honorable to him. You get the sense that God is way more holy than we give Him credit for. Look, when when we put Jesus is my homeboy on a T-shirt, it shouldn't surprise us that we think that uh, we think of Him irreverently. And in a way that is contemptuous, I, I, I understand the heart of many people who, who would do that. I, I'm not trying to overstate something, but I'm trying to make us think about something. How familiar, how common do we talk about God without considering who he is and seeking to honor him and revere him? I, I heard it said this week that one of the ways we break the third commandment is by doing church without ever seeing change. In our life, to, to come and take God's name on our lips and and to to say stuff about God, to say all the God stuff and then act as if God doesn't matter when we walk out of this movie theater to, to act like we've come to church. But really, we might as well have watched Bob's Burgers, which will be in here at twelve thirty. God's name is holy, is to be honored, it's to be treated with reverence, never contemptuously, never irrelevantly. In a helpful way, the Heidelberg Catechism, which is partly the foundation of the New City Catechism that we uh, have commended and recommended, uh, asked this question, what does the third command require? And it says, we are not to blaspheme or abuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, unnecessary oaths, nor should we share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. Rather, we must use the holy name of God only with fear and reverence. So that we may rightly confess him and call upon him and praise him in all our words and works. There's both the negative aspect of what we aren't to do and the positive aspect of what it commends us to do. Not to to break his commands, but also to uphold by misusing his name, but to uphold his name with fear and reverence, confessing him rightly, calling upon him rightly, praising him rightly. Let me give you just these three ways quickly um, that we break the command this third command we break it in the promises we make the words we say and the lives we live we misuse God's name when we use it in vain or add it to our promises to make them more credible you know like you say something like I swear to God we we use it to to make our statement stronger Jeremiah 5 says that uh, the Lord, the, the God's people used to say, as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely, he says. They would take God's name, but then speak falsely. They speak mere words, Hosea says, with worthless oaths, they make covenants. We also can misuse God's name when we, when we make an oath in his name and then knowingly or afterwards break that oath. And that, to, to misuse his name is to take his name upon us and then to mischaracterize or dishonor that name by failing to keep our words. This is why Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Not that we can't make oaths, but recognize that it's not needed to make unnecessary oaths to boost your credibility. Uh, but instead, be a person of integrity and allow your yes to be yes and your no be, be no. We, we also break God's uh, misuse God's name when we use it to advance our own agenda by ascribing a false sense of authority to our ideas and plans and opinions. This is convicting. Some, sometimes we say, well, the Lord told me to do this, or the Lord told me to tell you to do this. God's already said what He told us to do. And I'm not saying that we can't tell somebody else that we sense that this may be what they need to do or we can't say that this is what God may be telling us to do. But don't put the authority of God's name on it. Put the humility and the wisdom of God behind it. But don't put God's name on it as if your inward leading is the voice of God. Instead, submit that to the authority of God lest you misrepresent the name of God. We, we misuse the name of the Lord when, when we speak words that are flippant in anger or humor or surprise, swearing with God's name. How common this is in our culture. People add Jesus to, to their everyday events. In irreverence or in anger, we, we cry out to God, but not in dependence and humility, but in arrogance and in pride. We, we talk about God in a way that can be irreverent. In Malachi, it says that those who feared the Lord spoke with one another and the Lord paid attention and heard them because they feared the Lord and they esteemed His name. They didn't want to say anything that didn't honor Him. So we speak, without, speak of God without reverence. We forget who He is. We mis- misuse God's name when the lives we live fail to reflect who God is. This is what Romans 2 said as I read at the beginning. That the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Paul says to, uh, to the Jews in Romans 2. You claim to know God but you dishonor God by your life. And that's why God's word says that, that repentance has to start with the household of God. That we as God's people must not allow the lives we live to discredit the words we say. That our, uh, the pattern of our life shouldn't betray the profession of our lips. So the, to, to misuse the name of God isn't just the, the words we say, but it comes down to the life we live. So how do we keep it? We, we do it in these ways. We, we keep our word. We become people of integrity. We let our yes be yes and our no be no. As I mentioned, it doesn't mean that oaths aren't permitted. Jesus stepped into this complex thing that the Pharisees and the the religious leaders of the day, they had this sophisticated way of making oaths that basically didn't obligate them to things. They said they would swear by the gold of the temple, but not the actual temple itself. Or, you know, they would take a part and not the whole. And so it wouldn't obligate them to keep it. He says, enough, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Watch your mouth. Secondly, the more we come to know God... The more we see who he is, how can we not have a growing sense of reverence and holiness? Isn't it amazing that God can can get down on his knees with the children and say, let the children come to me. He's so approachable and near. And yet Isaiah tells us he sits high and lifted up. He is holy and beyond us. And that that sense of fear that should couple us is the the confidence that we are safe with Him. But that we have a reverence of who He is. We watch our mouth and what we say. We mind our life and how we live. We don't want to be the people of Jesus said in Matthew 15 that they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We want to be faithful to to what His Word says as well as faithful in how we respond to His Word with our lives. Not just with our lips, but with our hearts that produce actions. Fourthly, we pray in His name. Luther said that the, the other side of this commandment is actually to pray. It's a command to pray. It's the positive aspect of this law. is God calling us, commanding us to call upon His name. Hallowed be Your name. So we pray with adoration, submission, dependence. In fact, this is key, I think, to allowing our words in our lives to reflect him. And then finally, look to Christ. Consider this. The third commandment says God will not allow the guilty to go unpunished. So I ask you, are you guilty of misusing the name of the Lord? If we're honest, all of us are. So what hope do we have? Well, the same name we've misused is the same hope that we have because Acts 4.12 says that there is salvation in no other name, no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So we trust in the name of Jesus. And if you don't know him today, receive the invitation as you hear who he is and what he's done. Trust in him to rescue you from the guilt of your sin because He died in our place and for our sin and rose from the dead. And not only do we trust in the name of the Lord and Jesus' name, but we live for Jesus' name. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So in word and deed, we reflect His character. In word and deed, we seek to bring Him glory. And here at TCC, we often say that we want to be a church that delights in, declares, and displays the gospel. Think of it this way. God is inviting us to delight in the magnificence of His name. And the fullness of who He is so that we can declare and display His name in all of life. And just like Colossians 3.17 says, In everything we do in word and deed, that we might put on display and declare the glory of His name. This is what it means to keep the third commandment. Let's not misuse his name. Let's, let's know his name. Let's look to Christ. Let's trust in him. So that our lives would reflect and bring glory to the name of the Lord. Let's pray.